Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twyla After Show. I'm Neil Malalsal. With me, of course, co-producer Carl Wiggers, as well as co-hosts Avery Davidson and Kristen Oates-White. We've got a fun show. It's always a fun time of year right before the holidays. These are these are just fun, fun stuff. You want to sing? I, I do not. And, and you <laughs> know what? You to, I want you Everybody to listening to this podcast does not want me to sing. You it's are literally the, the only human person in the world human that wants person. me to sing. Come yes. on, sweet, sweet Neil. No, <laughs> you sit down with that. Sweet, I'm glad you're sitting voice. down because that, that way I don't have to tell you to sit down. And there's only one reason why I was singing on mm-hmm. this week's show. It was because Carl Wiggers made me do it. I had it. to put my producer hat on. Yeah. It was written in the script and it you was. didn't do it. So. He wrote it in the script. It, it did not say Kristen Avery singing. singing. Well, yeah. it, fo- it was followed with nobody likes Avery singing or right. something to that What's effect. What's the excuse for the reason you sing 99% of the other times? Ooh, uh, that that's point. because every word someone says makes me think of a song. It is a true it's so curse. It's Every single word. Spandau Ballet. <laughs> know this much is true. Well, we're going to have the first vomit on this podcast here in a minute. Let's nah, move on not to the first, but whatever. Let's go on. on to uh, a Christmas-related story, and that is, Carl Wiggers, you went out to a Christmas tree farm in Washington Parish. Yeah. You and I have talked about this a lot. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but it's a not the most, maybe not. But it is a very, very beautiful part of the state. It is. We love driving over there, North Shore area, hilly. Uh, It's very unlike much of the rest of Louisiana. The the Florida parishes. It's it's awesome. Um, Yeah. So I went. I went to a Christmas tree farm, and it's technically on the map. It says Angie. Whenever I googled Angie, Mm. it is the top. Is that another song? Yeah, it's Rolling Stones. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's the very (laughs) top. Corner of the toe of the boot. I mean, it is up mm-hmm. there. And then I looked at the farm on the map. It's not quite that far. Anyways, I went to Steele's Christmas Tree Farm. Mm-hmm. It's between Franklin. Steel toe of the boot. Huh? See what I did there? <laughs> Got it. Between Franklinton and uh, Angie, kind of area. But it's it's out there. But it was beautiful. You kind of just roll up. You're th- going through a bunch of old, you know, timberland down there, and then you all of a sudden, boom. There's a different type of timber they're growing, but they have the most... Be- I mean, it's a beautiful piece of land. I mean, it's mm. 50 acres all together, and all you see is just rows and rows and rows of Christmas trees. And I love that you showed that they sold their largest yeah. Christmas tree ever. That happened That happened the, the day before I went out there, which I was oh, just the like, luck. no. <laughs> no, they sold it to uh, one of the one of the parish governments there, the local parish governments. He actually he he grew it. He was growing it right by uh, the shop there, like their office, I and mean, it was just right there. And he kind of he said he did it as an experiment to see how big of a tree they could grow. Because he has people mm-hmm. every now and then ask him, you know, he's been doing this for forty years, wow. and he's had people ask him, you know, from time to time, how big of a tree can you grow? And he never has the chance to let one grow because people usually buy them, which is a great problem to have, I guess. But he said, all right, we're going to hold this one and see how big we can grow it. So how tall was it? It was 18 feet. Whoa! I thought you were going to say... Like 14, 12. 12, yeah. Yeah. 18, 18 that's a big old how long, tree. How long, so how long did he grow it? I, I, you know, I don't even remember if he said... You didn't ask that? He has. Years? So he has his trees on a five-year rotation. These are crucial questions, Carl. These are crucial questions. I'm a terrible reporter. <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of discussion. So I think he has his trees on a normal five-year rotation, and this tree... I would assume was in year six, maybe seven. Oh wow! So I mean, he, is so he, what was he doing? Was he was he giving it some extra oomph? I don't know if something? he was giving it extra oomph or just keeping it protected from you know the chainsaw. 
Um, <laughs> you know, yes, because that is the most the dangerous thing out there for that, those that trees. Will, that, the will, chainsaw. Uh, that will stunt the growth, I believe. <laughs> um, That's quite the natural predator. <laughs> <laughs> Funniest thing you've ever said. What? Oh, I'm so flattered. Anyways, <laughs> wow, Kristen really is amused if she's snorting. And <laughs> no, but he um, he said he had somebody try to buy it last year, and he said I'm going to give it one more year. And he said this spring it was 16 feet huh. when they measured it, and when they harvested it, it this 18. year. Wow. Well, no, you know what? I lied. He you did tell me how long it, how long it had been growing. Twelve years. Twelve. I was years. about to say. Yeah. There's no way. I just remembered that because he was talking about the rings. He did cut a little piece to you know sand down and save a little piece of the trunk, and he's going to sand down and sand it down and count the rings to be sure. But he said, I think he, now that now that we're saying that, I think it was ten or twelve years hmm. in that ballpark. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad that just came to me. But anyways, <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> he had to be doing something different. Yeah, if it grew in five it. or six years, but. He uh he typically doesn't let them grow that long. They have a five year rotation where they mm-hmm. pretty much it was pretty cool how they did it though. He just has five plots that he plants and harvests from. So this year there's they only have this one section, this one you know mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. six or seven rows. They harvest from just that section, and then the next year they'll move you know the next six or seven rows. Now I do have a much more important question than Kristen's. How long has it been growing? Sure. Where is an eighteen foot Christmas tree going? Who's buying that, and what are they using? A the, bigger house than you got. A much no, bigger house no than doubt. all of us. Yeah. He um he said he sold that one to one of the local parish governments um in that uh, okay. you know southwest mm-hmm. uh, southeast Louisiana area. I uh, can't remember which one, but he was pretty excited about that. The fact that I mean a lot of local government you know offices and buildings they use. His trees, which is kind of cool, um, but I mean, there's there's a wealth of tree farms in that area. There's probably four or five of them in that area that they can pull from, and right, they, they just pulled this year from him. Yeah, it was, so it was really cool. But a big, it's a big tree, and I wish I'd have been there the day before to see it. But you'll see pictures in the show. I already know the answer to this. I mean, I, I think I know the answer. I'm not certain. Fraser firs must have need a colder or not as humid climate. Why don't we grow any Fraser? They grow firs on here? mountainsides, right? Yeah, they grow in colder climes. Yeah. I bet it's I bet it's a moisture thing too cuz I bet it gets less yeah. up on the side of the mountain. We can tell gonna, what kind of tree try, she likes. I was going to try to grow me a Fraser fir Christmas tree farm. You might could. Next it's to just, my hydroponic lettuce. Mm. Are you taking my business idea? I'm yeah. How about hydroponic Christmas trees? What? I was just about to say that. What? You could just grow them in like, you know, ground pots cuz they don't need a good root system. I think your plant your your plan does lack roots. <laughs> It's not very, so how, how we talked on the show a little bit about hydro, about the hydroponics, but let's let's get to the dirty side of it. It is how, dirty. How many how many screw ups have you had since you started this endeavor of doing hydroponic lettuce at your house in the garage, which probably might not be the best place to do it. Well, I'll tell you this: it's not a greenhouse. <laughs> there's, oh. there's a little difference uh, in growing it in my backyard, especially in Louisiana, where even in December it can be 70 degrees, which is just great for lettuce. Um, but yes, yeah, it's not in a controlled environment, which is you know one difference that I've seen. And it's like, oh, the wind is blowing all of my heads of lettuce to the side of the pot. You know that kind of stuff, it's little small things like that. Um, but I do have. Actual heads of lettuce that are starting to form and look like the butterhead that you that I saw at Roy Gresham's whenever I went. It's like, oh man, that's not at all what my uh, lettuce looks like yet. So <laughs> you they're can starting get you to get some there. plastic, and don't you have like a carport? Yeah, I, 
I'm right on the edge of my carport. <laughs> I've thought like, about that. Some plastic and there's some hoop things that you could put. Out, I mean, if you I, really want to, I get really into this. thought about it, and my fear would be cause I, what I would do is probably bring the plastic off of my and instead of doing the hoops like you're talking about. I'll just bring it off my carport to my fence, but I'm scared that neighbors might start seeing. Yeah, I was about to say I don't know if you've got a homeowners association, you might look kind of. Yeah, it start, might start looking a little sketch. I don't really yeah. want to have to answer questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's lettuce, but I don't want anybody like what you growing nosy, back, back there, boy. Yeah. Knocks on the door at three in the morning. Hey, yeah. man, <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of lettuce <laughs> or DEA. Right. <laughs> it's lettuce. Yeah. I did. I, well, I went this past week uh, for Thanksgiving. That week, I went up to Ravel to visit Mr. Rory and ask him more questions. I have. There's plenty to learn about this whole system but he he kind of worked with me on some of the like how to fertilize the system mm-hmm. and uh but he also sent me home with two flats of lettuce that he had already seeded but he didn't have a space for yet um just he plants as he as they're as it's harvested and he plants he plants more than he harvests um just to make sure they all seed and whatnot so he had some extras to send with me so he sent me two weeks worth way way more than two weeks worth i'll have some lettuce for y'all soon but <laughs> Uh, sent me two flats, yeah. which is on they're on different planting schedules, so they're like a week apart. So they should harvest ideally a week apart. Um, but I have like forty or fifty heads of lettuce in my system now that he sent me that are further along, and I've also got some that I've already seeded myself that uh, they should be going in the system here by the end of this week. So every time he cuts harvest a lettuce head, does he heart? Does he cut it off or does he do? You know, have you seen the living yeah, lettuce? Yeah, he cuts his. So he doesn't. He just replaces that. He doesn't start. He doesn't let it grow back. No, no. He takes because uh-huh. he he just cleans the mesh pot out. I think he composts he all over. the dirt and roots, and it starts over from scratch. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's it's a it's a definitely been a learning uh, learning thing, uh, learning process experience for sure. Because there's a uh, I actually. <laughs> Where it's located, it's just off the side of my carport, and I didn't think about it, but it rained the other day, which the rain, I was like, okay, it's going to rain. It's an out, It's a plant. It's supposed to get rained on. You know, it happens. Um, but I didn't account for the fact that the water is going to fall off my carport directly down onto one of the rows. <laughs> so, like, half of the dirt was washed out of those plants that were in that first row of a uh, pipe. So. You live. Huh? You learn. <laughs> yeah. I'm figuring it out, but it's fine. Now he's singing. It's, uh, uh, get me out of here. It's your, <laughs> your turn. It's my turn. My turn to talk about uh, the sugar story. No, it's your turn to sing. Oh, no, no. No, sweet no, 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 no. Sweet, no. sweet Neil. Got to talk and about that's some not sweet, sweet sugar. Or sweet, name. sweet Neil. <laughs> whoa, whoa, uh, sweet when, Neil. We're going to make it up. Oh, my God. You guys are awful. You're <laughs> just terrible people. I went yeah, out to. Y'all going to think again before you start rattling off songs. Yeah. Louisiana Sugar Refinery. I went to this. I did the story a couple weeks ago. You guys all saw. And when I got out there, the the thing was, there was so much more to it that I could possibly encapsulate in that one story. Really, even in two stories. But essentially, it's a place built on an older site. It was in the. It started in 1895, and they started refining sugar there. And over the years, it's transformed several times. Uh, it's funny because Larry uh, Fasche is uh, his he's third generation, and it seems like it's gone through three revolutions. One where they first began in um, the late 19th century and then in the 30s and 40s it changed again and that's where dixie crystal sugar comes from many of you remember that and um they grew they refined sugar for them and then 
what happened is, as you heard a couple weeks ago, eight mills got together and the sugar producers, the co-op uh, farmers like Mike Molossoff, for instance, wanted to increase profitability and give some kind of stability there. Because oftentimes the way sugar works, they don't get the domestic price. It's not that. Sugar farmers get the price that the mills give them, and that's often dictated by the refiners. Mm -hmm. So you're three degrees separated when you're growing sugar. So it's really at that time before 2010, it was much more unstable than it is. So they got together and made their own refinery on the grounds of the old Dixie Crystal place. And so now um, it's kind of a cooperative effort. Many of the members, the sugar farmers are on the board and that kind of thing. And so it's a very modern facility. You can see it there. But there's this entrenched history on the, the site. And one of the things, one of the people that's largely responsible for it was this guy, Dr. George Mead. We talked about him two weeks ago. He was, he literally wrote the book on sugar refinery and cane sugar. And he also was very active in the community as far as he founded the first all-black school in St. James Parish. But what you might not know is he did a lot of other things like raised snakes and turtles for one Jacques Cousteau. Really? Who came out to his place and stayed in that house that you'll see in my piece. They call it the Blue House now. And they were great friends, and he raised this specimen for Cousteau's nature show. He had a nature show on. Some of you younger people may not know it, but it's in the 60s and 70s especially. Jacques Cousteau was very famous uh, aquatic explorer. He did a lot of oceanography stuff. But he also did a lot of nature documentaries, and one of the people who did it was this guy, Dr. George Mead. <laughs> and so one of the sugar the workers at the sugar mill kept some of those snakes and turtles at his place in the town of Gramercy while he was, you know, away on business or something like that. And so it was this just kind of strange community effort. And and as you'll see, on the grounds of LSR is this neighborhood that almost every single place is on the register of National Historic Places. There's an old church there on the grounds that was part of it. The Catholic Church across the street was originally part of the property. It's not enclosed now, but it was it was one of the churches on the place. There's many homes. Many have been moved off-site. They just essentially pick them up and move them further into Gramercy when LSR kind of uh, uh, blocked it off there with a mm -hmm. fence so that they wouldn't have to go through the gate every single day. But it still looks like a neighborhood. The It's called Park Boulevard, and it looks like a park there, and it's the corporate headquarters are in there, and um, it's the old wood floors. I'm going to take you on a tour through the Blue House. Many of the, the rooms are named after Sugarcane or Louisiana or something along those lines. It's a fascinating place. Uh, place that they still use to this day to um, entertain guests and clients, many of whom buy are large wholesale buyers of the sugar grown at LSR. Hershey is one of them. Oh, wow. That's that's really, really cool. Yeah. So it's just amazing that all of this sits there right on the river and is part of Louisiana's history. As I told you guys before, they process two and a half billion tons of sugar every year. That's a few Hershey's bars. Yeah. That's a few Hershey's bars. I think it's something on the order of 40 million. It's something like that. It, it's insane. It's, wow. it's crazy. Um, and, and so, Go ahead. I was going to say, and Gramercy is such a great place to visit around Christmas because on Christmas Eve, they have the lighting of the bonfire. So you could spend a whole day going over there and so much going fun. to LSR, mm -hmm. taking a look at things there, and then going out to the levee because 
the bonfires, if you've never been, I've it never is been. it is like a rock concert. So it's awesome. As I told you on the show, one of the places you can go eat while you're there is this place, Nobles. It's spelled N-O-B-I-L-E-S. And um, uh, the guy who owns it is third generation himself. And it wasn't always a restaurant. Care to make any guesses what it was before? A strip club. <laughs> really? Close. Wow. <laughs> a, a brothel. brothel. A brothel. It was wow. a house of ill repute. Oh, who gets the award for the closest answer? You, 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 get, to win. Sit, you get to sit down. You win the <laughs> silver pole. Yeah. Oh. It's just because I just watched Hustlers. Oh, okay. Well, the so I just thought that, that was really interesting that now it's this community hub. It's where, a noble place. Uh, now it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, there's an old ancient bar there behind the um, that's been there since the 19th century, and it's just beautiful, all hardwood, intricate, ornate. Anybody who's anybody in Gramercy goes and and is uh, is there eating lunch, including the emails and uh, who own the sugar. Uh, acreage right next door. The fast food farm that we've done on the show mm-hmm. is right there, right huh. next to it. I think, didn't you tell me something about that uh, Nobles, like they, they won't paint the outside of the building? No, <laughs> he calls it the, the he's waiting for the veneer to get just right on it. But essentially, oh, the patina. right, uh, the <laughs> patina, that's it. And and the reason is, is that the hard cypress underneath it is far more weather resistant than the paint is. Huh. So it's just now getting Getting, getting to where it's getting, getting right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. It's a beautiful building. I remember you took pictures and put it on uh, yeah. your Facebook page. I was, I was impressed. The outside is ugly, but the inside is beautiful. And the food, of course, is the best Cajun cooking, you know, that you can you can get at a, at a restaurant. So I, it's highly that and the Christmas bonfires. And go to LSR, see if they'll take you on a tour there because it's, it's really fun. And I'm really glad for the first time we got a sugar refinery to show this end mm-hmm. process. And, and more importantly... It uh, it helps raise the amount of money that farmer that sugar farmers are getting, and has really added a stability over the last decade, uh, which is something we need because it's another thing that we talked about on the show this week, which is the amount of bankruptcy we have seen. I, I said it earlier this year that it was really shaping up to be something like the mid '80s, and uh, it has unfortunately turned that way. Bankruptcies are up in on farm 24 percent year over year. Yeah. Um, and uh, as Kristen and I talked about earlier, farm suicides are up uh, a great deal, and uh, they go hand in hand, of course. Yeah, fortunately, in Louisiana, we haven't seen as much of either, thank God. Uh, but what we have seen is, we've, according to Andy Brown here with the Louisiana Farm Bureau, uh, we've seen farm loan delinquencies increase between 2 and 3%. Uh, we're starting to see some early retirement, which is about the same as a bankruptcy. Now, I spoke with Bill Bryan, who is an attorney here in Baton Rouge. He also sits on a board for a small and minority farmer organization um, where they try to connect them to farmers directly with restaurants and chefs and the like. But what he was telling me was back in the 80s, Congress came up with what's called Chapter 12. A Chapter 12 bankruptcy is specific for farms, and it's designed to try and allow that farm to remain in the family so that they don't lose everything. Um, What he says most of the time happens is farmers, because they are so 
uh, they they keep trying to take on so much themselves that by the time they ask anyone for finance for help with their finances, it's too late. <laughs> and so uh, what he brought up was, you know, your first step should be to breathe. Just take a breath. Look at what you have. Look at whether you need to diversify, whether you need to change course, whether you need to offload your assets. Then, only then do you consider bankruptcy. And then, if it's uh, if you're under ten million dollars in debt, you can do it under Chapter Twelve instead of Chapter Eleven. Which Chapter Eleven, he says, is completely and utterly complex. Chapter Twelve is what would allow the farm to continue in one way or another. And it was designed specifically for that. That's a really important detail, especially because we've got um, a lot of farmers who are looking to diversify right now, and they need to be thinking about those things, um, especially with the climate so hostile right now to farming. I had a quick question. Did did they offer any resources, like any reading or things like that, that, you know, that maybe could help me other than just take a deep breath and slow down and maybe then look at your stuff? Do they give you any like tools or anything to look for any resources? No toolkit, but to speak with a bankruptcy attorney, Mm -hmm. speak with with your attorney. And and, that's also where groups like Farm Bureau and the LSU Ag Center come in and the Department of Ag and Forestry. They all have tools in some way, shape or form to kind of help you think Mm -hmm. about that. There's economists at at the LSU Ag Center who are really, Mm -hmm. really very good at that sort of thing. Andy Brown, I guess, could be Mm-hmm. One of those yep. same resources. Well, and also, I mean, think about we have a, a the Louisiana Farm Bureau has a field services director in a, each region of the state. Reach out to them, even, and I even say, reach out to them on the mental health side. Mm. Just having somebody to talk to can make all the difference in the world. I mean, and we don't talk enough about the mental health issues, but I mean, it's stressful. I mean, we we talked about on the show how many variables are not in the control of farmers and ranchers, weather, markets government regulation, they have to react to all of that. You you can be proactive only to a certain degree, but at the end of the day, if there's a storm that drops 30 inches of rain in one square mile and it's your square mile of farm, that's it. And that's not going to be a federal disaster because it might have been 20, Super you know, yeah, yeah, 15 inches just a mile down the road. These are not traditionally the people that like to wear their heart on their sleeve and talk exactly. about. And so, yeah, I, I think that's something in the future that as an organization, we are going to have to come up with something, whether it be us or the Department of Ag and Forestry. I think we're going to have to have, I even thought about, I was thinking today when I was driving, you were talking about the program. I, I'm sure that you've already done your class program. For ag leadership. For ag leadership, mm-hmm. but that would have been a good, like, maybe some sort of hotline that's got Yeah, there's farmers. a lot of different states that are having, so we're seeing those little resources like that pop mm-hmm. up. That's why I was asking if there was any anything like that yet in Louisiana, because that yeah. would be an incredible resource to have. And like something where you could, if, if you had like a window of, if you need, if anybody needs to call me in this amount, I mean, yeah. f- farmers... Uh, I feel like they don't they don't always want to talk to their spouse. They don't always want to talk to somebody else in business. But if it, if it's somebody that is going through or has gone through the same thing that they have, it might be just just talking about it yeah. helps. I, I think part of that is farmers find doing the work that they do therapeutic. You know, they like mm-hmm. to go outside and whatnot. It's just that with a lot of this, it comes to the end of the road of you have no more work to do. So everything 
you know, that bankruptcy you're facing is the end of everything you've loved to do your whole life. Then what? And by then it's, you know, often too late or you don't know what to do. It's just a, a state of despair. So um, I, I agree. I mean, I really I really think we do need more resources from especially for mental health. Yeah. Minnesota's got a good, a mm-hmm. really good plan together because I think they've dealt with a lot more of this a mm-hmm. lot sooner than we have, and they have, you know, they have they have therapists that specifically because it, it's one thing to talk to, you know, a psychologist or, or or whoever you think to go talk to, but it's somebody that it, it needs to be somebody that understands this specific business, that what it's like to 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 have done this. That maybe you're a fifth generation farmer and. Yeah. This is the only thing that you know how to do. This is the only thing that you are trained to do. And like you said, when you get to the end of the road, that's a very hopeless feeling Yeah, to not be able to do anything else. And it, that's what they said in that video, that mm-hmm. it's like it's like you feel like you're letting not just yourself down, but your family mm-hmm. and your history and the legacy of. So it, it's a very hopeless feeling. And I think that we do as a state, we need to be before we have before mm-hmm. it's a problem helping people get through it when it when the thought first comes up and i'm I'm gonna speak to the listeners for a moment i mean if you're listening to this and you're experiencing any of that reach out to us reach out to your farm bureau field services rep reach out to someone over at fsa talk to somebody about it because that's the only way in which things are going to get better we need you here we love you we want you here and you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure you're made whole. That's great. I I, I can't encourage that enough. And uh, I really hope that people who are hurting out there get the resources that they need. Next week, we will be having a new field to feast. Um, Jennifer Finley, hopefully we'll get her in here. She'll be in here next this week. Yeah, we'll have her in here. That's great. Um, cause, because we're also having a look back video. We're going to a look back show. We're going to look over this past year and see some of our best hits. It's that time of year. And then we're going on hiatus for, for quite a bit. Preview. What, what, what stories come to your mind from last from this past year? It's been a, it's been well, ten months, twelve months of shows. What for me, I mean, speaking of all the hardship, it's the seafood guys, mm. and uh, I don't know if it's the crab story or the shrimp story that I'm going to do, but um, both those stories and the state of the seafood industry, in addition to the flooding, you know, which was a major story this year, uh, is one of the things that I, I'd really like to look back on. Yeah, well, for me, that that the answer to that would be. Uh, more feel-good piece I did from <laughs> Louisiana Farm Bureau Convention in New Orleans. It was a kind of a micro-farm, farmer's market, CSA kind of, you know, conglomerate going on there with a bunch of different farmers that have come together and make a little market. I thought that was fun and it cool, was. and it's also a little glimpse back into our convention time. That's what I'm thinking for that. I'm going to go with a similar story, except where we were. Miel Brewery. Come yeah, on. I mean, uh, when, I, when I go out and, and talk to the guy's dad who uh, has the bees that provide the honey to make the the beer, and then not only that, we did this podcast while drinking beer. Not this, not one, this but, one. Not this one, but the one that we did from there. Man, how, how can I not think that's the yeah, best that story? Is, that was a pretty awesome story. It's the most fun story by a long shot. Yeah. The Kristen? beer is nice, too. I'm going to say we go on the Blooming on the Bayou with the kids. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. You can, can, are you going to cut that down for a little, a little glimpse? I'll do what it. Yeah, I'll do a little. <laughs> that was long, wasn't it? A little bit. Yeah, it's probably eight nine <laughs> minutes. Do a long. little tiny little snippet of it. A little tiny. Snippet. Some of the best 
tiny snippet for the, the highlights. The tiny kiddos, the tiny dancer. Oh, Nicholas. Sorry. <laughs> I stopped. Just wow. had to get it. Just had you to get it. You everyone every day. That's had just sing sad. One more time. And you didn't say Tony Danza. Tony Danza. Yeah. Hold me close. <laughs> Hold me close. Closer. 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 It's tiny right. dancer. Tiny dancer. Tony Danza. It's mm-hmm. a joke, Christian. White, white. We've really, we've really, we have to go. Yes. Thank you all for joining us <laughs> with me. Of course, co hosts Kristen Oaks White, Avery Davidson, and my co producer Carl Wiggers. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twilight After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 